0: Certainly it is true that there are a lot of things you could be doing tonight, else being here. You could be at home, you could be with your friends, although we are with our friends and we are at home, and you could certainly be investing your time in things that are less important than what we are invested in tonight. But the fact that you are here, especially those who've traveled some distance to be with us and to be with your family and to be with your friends and yet you believe it's important to be in a spiritual environment and to be engaged in the study of spiritual things is certainly encouraging to each and every person that is sitting near you tonight. And so I hope that we'll do good in serving our God and that we will learn about praying well and praying as God asks us to do, which is the topic of our study together tonight. So I invite you to open to a classic passage on the subject of prayer in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And I say that with some joking aside because if I were to say tonight that we're going to sit down and study on the subject of prayer, you may say, well, maybe we'll go to Luke chapter 11 or to Matthew chapter 6 or John chapter 17 or even revisit where David was this morning in Ephesians chapter 3 where Paul is praying. And there are so many places where Paul spends verses and and sections of Scripture talking about prayer. But I want to use an Old Testament passage tonight, and I love doing this kind of study. And I'm doing this in the spirit of this time of year, as I mentioned last Sunday morning that the final three sermons that I'm going to preach, Lord willing, over the course of 2023 are kind of resolution different studies. And so, Lord willing, next week, we're going to look at the last book of the Old Testament, And next week, we'll look at that book of Malachi to establish some points that I think are important. But I want to learn from Jehoshaphat tonight, a character in the Old Testament and what he teaches us about prayer. And certainly, uh, this is a sermon that only applies to certain individuals. And so if you determine that it does not apply to you, I would encourage you to go ahead and exit, and no one will judge you for it. And that is... If you have perfected prayer in your life, if there's no need to improve on your prayer life in 2024, maybe pray a little bit more fervently or more frequently, if that's not you, you're welcome to leave at this point. We'll go ahead and take a few seconds. now. We all recognize the importance of improving our prayer life in 2024 and in the remaining days of 2023. The other thing I was thinking about over the last few days is I have been the recipient of a lot of baked goods over the last few weeks, and this is a congregation that is blessed with great cooks, both women and men and those who bake and cook and do all kinds of things. I always tell people, if you're sick and you need me to bring you some, I'll be happy to do so, but I'm going to the store to bring it to you because I'll make you sicker if I cook for you, but we understand what it means to have ingredients components of something that make up the whole. And tonight we begin by praying to our God fervently, and I appreciate our brother Bruce, both this evening and our brother David this morning, leading us in fervent prayers to at the outset of our studies that remind us that prayer is more than just saying thank you and then amen. It is thank you, but it is pleading with our God and doing the things that God has asked us to do as outlined in passages like 2 Chronicles chapter 20. You may say, I'm not very familiar with 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and that's okay. Don't panic and don't hit the alarm bells. We're going to do our very best to make you a little more familiar with about 20 some verses together tonight. But I wanna start with this idea of prayer and the Old Testament. I believe that much about prayer can be learned by reading particular Old Testament prayers and you go back and you read some of the great kings and some of the great prophets, as they spoke directly to God, you learn an awful lot about them. And I think if we only limit ourselves to reading New Testament prayer language we really disregard some of the great Old Testament prayer language that helps us to really flourish in our personal and in our public prayer life. Much can also be learned by reading Old Testament stories or accounts. And certainly, we can go back and read the previous two to three chapters, which we're not going to do tonight. If you want to do that sometime in the course of the next week, I encourage you to do so. But the account of the Lord's defeat of the enemies of God's people is, it seems to me, where we're focusing tonight is a near-perfect place to learn about prayer, particularly three aspects. One is the power and effectiveness of prayer. I was talking with one of our sisters tonight who had recently been sick and who hadn't been here for two or three weeks, and she said, I can actually feel prayer's power where the brethren here are praying for me, and I know that they are praying for me. They're communicating to me they are praying for me because it is effective. Indeed, James says so much in chapter 5 of that brief letter at the tail end of the New Testament. Furthermore, it's purposes. Why do we pray? Do we open up our services in prayer and close out our services in prayer? Do we pray maybe at the outset of the day or the close of the day or maybe when we are uh, having a break at work or whatever the case may be just because we want to check the box or does it have a broader purpose to it? And then certainly we want to talk about the ingredients, the various components that make up good, effective prayer. I've always been one. To not say to someone, in fact, I'm not sure I've ever said it, and if I ever do, correct me on it. Uh, But I've never used the phrase when someone leads a public prayer, that was a good prayer. I may say something like, I appreciate your prayer, because I'm not the one to judge what is a good prayer and not as a good prayer. That's maybe a little bit, some semantics with me. But I appreciate the effectiveness of prayers and its ingredients that people, that this congregation and places around the world Engage in as we pray together. And so what I want to do tonight is to consider six ingredients for effective, necessary, purposeful prayer by using chapter 20. So what I want to do is I want to fairly rapidly read through about 21 verses, 22 verses or so. Then I want to come back and make those six observations. It says in chapter 20 and verse 1, just as to lay a little bit of groundwork here, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. So it's, it's the, it's the uh, ever-present bad guys and the outsiders versus the good guy. and this, in this case, and the good people, the good guys, the people of Judah. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, their leader, and said, "A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, which is Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi." And it says here in verse three, which is going to be the heart of our study, which is basically verses three through around twenty-two. "'Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord "'and proclaimed to fast throughout all Judah. "'Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, "'and from all the cities of Judah "'they came to seek the Lord.' Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. He says, "'O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations, and in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever?' And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and you will save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. One of my favorite phrases, verse 12, our eyes are on you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives, and their children stood before the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaliah, and, the, and a Levite, and the sons of Asaph. In the midst of the assembly said, listen, all of you Judah, all you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeru. You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem." Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, and they worshiped the Lord. The Levites of the children, the Kohathites, and the children of the the Kohathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high, and they rose early in the morning, went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, And you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, you will prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. And they went out before the army and they were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And one more verse. When they began to sing and they began to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. I'm glad things worked out, because every time you read these accounts, you're like, I hope it's going to work out for these people. And every time it does, because God was on their side. So we can take assurance that the story will always turn out the same. That's, an empower, that's a powerful prayer, it seems to me, and a response of the people. So I want to look at those six things here and spend just three or four minutes on those six things. First and foremost is when we go to God in prayer, it's all about saying, God, I need help. And you are the only one that can provide me help. And throughout the prophets and throughout the Old Testament we see time and again where God says, do not go to foreign governments and ask them for their help. Do not seek foreign armies or the best military hardware for assistance. And I appreciate how both this morning and this evening, we began our worship services by acknowledging that the world is falling apart. It is always, it seems to be falling apart and it will probably continue to be falling apart a hundred years from now. And we fret about that and that's a natural reaction but God, as we have prayed, is in control. We seek our help from him. And so we go back to verses 3 and 4. And in the NIV, which is not necessarily my favorite translation from which to read, it actually has a neat little statement where it says, Alarmed Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. News comes to the king that that the surrounding armies are teaming up and they are ready to invade and they are ready to destroy and they are ready to annihilate And if you are the leader of a people, you may put on a bold face when the camera's turned on, but when the camera's off, you may say, I'm scared for my people. And Jehoshaphat says, I need to seek help from the Lord. And so the point that I think is is abundantly clear is that when we are afraid, we've got to do the same. It can't be the caveat that the only time we go to God is when we are fearful Because that's a problem in and of itself. But when you are fearful about your health, about your finances, about the new year, about the spiritually sick, about whatever it is that you are concerned about, go to God in prayer with every joy and with every care we sang a few moments ago. When we are alarmed, we should do the same. Note, if you would, the effectiveness of communal prayer which is incidentally one of the reasons, it seems to me, that we gather together on occasions like this, and we don't just say, by the way, we're going to set a timer here for the next uh, three minutes and everyone just pray by themselves individually. We could do that, and then someone say the time's up and the prayer is now closed for, you, you know, for that particular time. But that's not what we do. We have someone who leads us in prayer who regularly asks others for input into what he should be praying about. In fact, just today, someone said to me, what should we be praying about? Isn't that part of the reason of why we have announcements? You know, uh, I I maybe mentioned this a few months back, maybe mentioned it in a a Bible study to young people that I remember as a very young boy, the first time I heard announcements at the tail end of services, I thought that the church was uh, irreligious and irresponsible because announcements come at the beginning of services. Well, announcements aren't necessarily a work of worship that go in with the same category as singing and praying and worshiping and praise, but they are important. And we begin and sometimes end with announcements or updates because we want to know who to pray about. We want to know what's going on. And these days, with electronic communications and quick text updates, there's no excuse as to why we can't communicate with one another. So-and-so is in need of prayer. Can you make sure that you take the time to pray for them? And that's why we have prayer requests as well. And so if you have something that you want prayed about, seek help from the Lord. Jehoshaphat says, let's gather everyone. And you'll notice here that this is not just the, the men and the women, but also the children are involved in this story in chapter 20. There's something to be said about involving the children in this as well. The second thing that I think is important in prayer as outlined by Jehoshaphat's prayer is the idea of a confession of God's absolute power. And we have done that, I think, very well today. I think we do that on a regular basis well, but we can't rest, so to speak, and get caught into the trap of just saying, well, it's time for a prayer, so we'll pray without recognizing that we are going before, as Bruce said, the creator of the universe. And he is awesome, and he is terrifying, and he is important, and more important than anything else. And so here in verse 6, Lord God of the fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all kingdoms. In your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to stand? The NIV again says, You are the God of our ancestors. And so there are five particular aspects of God's power. One, you are the God of our fathers or the God of our ancestors. Two, you are the inhabitant of heaven. Three, you rule over everything. There is nothing out of the scope of God's power. And we are in awe today of certain world leaders who have immense power. And with the intonation of their voice or the results of their blood work as released on the news, the stock market may change. God is more powerful than all of them combined. That's the God we serve. He rules over everything. Four, all-powerful. And five, greater than anything or anyone. That's the God that we serve. There are times when our prayers, especially of a private nature, throughout a day-to-day basis are going to be very brief, and there's nothing wrong with brief prayer. The Bible is replete with people who prayed very briefly, and I would think it took less than 30 seconds to render that prayer to God. As the old preacher said years ago, it was the idea of, Le- of, of Nehemiah chapters 1 to 2 where you have Nehemiah before the governor and it says, I pray to the Lord. And he said that was one of those arrow prayers where you shoot it up real quick and said, God, I need some help. Help me out right here. And that took all of about three seconds to pray. But when you have more time to pray and you can invest that time in prayer, in 2024, spend extra time confessing God's absolute power. Publicly, certainly, as men who are going to lead our prayers, but privately, just say, God, I want to take an extra 60 seconds in my prayer and just tell you all the reasons you are great, powerful, all-encompassing, awesome, You are amazing, you are terrifying, you are frightening, but I love you and I wanna do everything that you want me to do. And spend that extra 60 seconds just developing that aspect of your prayer. Thirdly, I thought it was interesting that Brother Bobo chose songs tonight that almost every one of them had reference to the idea of promise, for you have promised, we said. We need to recognize that God has made promises in the past And he will always keep those promises. And so if you go back to this time, chapter 20, verses 7 through 11, which we won't reread, it seems to me that there are four fundamental facts that God has always made his promises. He, He started out in the very beginning by saying, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. That was a promise. And as a byproduct, or flipping the coin, he's saying that if you do not eat and you obey me, you will live in peace and tranquility and everything is going to go splendidly. And so God started out with promises, and he continues to make promises to us. And so here are four promises where God, either in the past tense, has done things or God will in the future do things. First and foremost, God drove out the enemies of the land for his people. And we know that because of the previous 10 or 12 books of the Old Testament. We read in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and particularly in Joshua and Judges where we see God orchestrating military campaigns under the leadership of great men like Gideon and great men like Joshua and with the faith of people like Caleb saying, we can do this. And God removed those enemies of the land for his people. And God gave the land to Abraham's descendants just as he had promised. What if we were still waiting on that promise? Or what if it failed to come to fruition? Incidentally, by my count, biblically speaking, every promise that God made was fulfilled with the exception of one that we're still waiting on. And we sometimes pray and sing and plead come quickly. Now, the caveat to that is we want to make sure that we are ready And we want to make sure that we have ample opportunity for those that we care about and that we've prayed about today to be ready as well. Thirdly, we can appreciate that God will save his people in time of trouble. Cry out to you, verse 9, in our affliction and you will hear and you will deliver or you will save there in verse 9 of chapter 20. And that is why God is worthy of our trust for future rescue. And I have been as guilty of this as the worst of the offenders, where I can look back in my life at times when I've been concerned, uncertain, worried, uh, disappointed, whatever the case may be, and God delivered me out of all of them in ways that I didn't always appreciate at the time, but somehow he got me out of those difficulties. And then present tense, something comes up. Is God going to get me through this one? How silly for us to acknowledge that God might not be able to get us out of that difficulty. It may not be in the way that we want, in the timetable that we frame, or in the way that we desire, but God will always rescue And that's why we must recognize God's promises in our prayers. Fourthly, we need to realize that God will judge those opposed to him. We will make reference to Romans chapter 12 in just a moment, which is a passage that is already obviously on your mind. But I want to go back to verse 12 of the text here in in 2 Chronicles 20. He says, God, our God, will you not judge him? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Our God, will you not judge them is the question. We have got to allow God to be the judge. And in fact, in Romans chapter 12, where I referenced just a moment or so ago, vengeance is mine, thus says the Lord. I will repay, as Paul would argue, to those people in the first century church. Prayer needs to include the fact and the necessary confession that we have no power without God, which is exactly what Jehoshaphat is saying. He says, we are powerless without you. And it seems to me that Jehoshaphat isn't just saying that out of a sense of desperation, but out of a sense of trust. And as a great leader and as a great prayer leader is saying, God, Without you, we're nothing. We have no power, and you are the one that is in control, as we pointed out a few moments ago. And we have to have the acknowledgement that our eyes are on him. Every time I think about that phrase, which is probably my favorite phrase, in 2 Chronicles 20, as I mentioned a few moments ago, where in verse 12 it says, our eyes are on you. We're, We're looking at you. We're depending on you. We acknowledge tonight that we get to call our God Jehovah, we get to call him our creator, but we also have that personalized word father. And Abba Father, Abba Father, as we sing. That's a special relationship where our eyes are fixed, in the words of Hebrews chapter 12 in the New American Standard, having your eyes fixed on Jesus. Incidentally, when I read verse 12, I always think about one of my favorite minor prophets, and I've made no uh, mystery about one of my favorite minor prophets being Habakkuk, because in those first eight verses or so, he's saying, God, do you not see what's happening here? Have you lost control of the situation? Do I need to turn a light on so that you can see more clearly what's happening in the world? And God gently comes to Habakkuk and says, I've got it under control. I'll be the one to take care of this. I'm going to do it in a way that you won't understand with people that you're not going to agree to and in a time period that you're not going to appreciate. Just keep your eyes fixed on me. We've got to have immense trust. One of the other components of the promise side that we sang about a few moments ago. Number five in our list of six ingredients is to remember, again, that God will deliver us. You may say, well, we kind of already talked about that in the third point, and we did. But I wanted to revisit it because it seems to me that Jehoshaphat comes back to that, where in verse 15, listen, all you Judah, and listen, you, King Jehoshaphat, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed because this great multitude, for the battle is not yours And heavenly armor will enter the land. The battle belongs to the Lord, right? All his battle, not ours, not something that we fight. And so in verses 14 through 17, as we read there, drop down to verse 17 where the text says, you're not gonna need to fight in the battle. Position yourselves. And he says, I want you to do two things, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Well, what does that mean for us? First, sometimes we just need to listen to God. But God, you don't understand. Just listen to God. God, you don't understand what's going on in my life. Hold on, God says. Just listen to me. And listen to my word. Reminds me of the story of the mother whose son went off to college. And... He would call and say, I'm nervous about this class, I'm nervous about this, and I'm concerned about fitting in with the crowd and all these kinds of things. She said, just read your Bible. He's like, oh. A week later, back in the days where it cost money to call long distance, those of you young people don't understand what that was like. I'm stressed. I don't know what's going on. Read your Bible. It'll all work out. I don't have enough money to be able to pay for my books or to go out with my friends on Friday evening or whatever the case may be, read your Bible. She would say this week after week. So finally, after about four or five weeks, he opens his Bible, and as he's opened the pages, dollar bills start falling out. (laughs) (laughs) Things got better when he started reading his Bible. Now, this isn't the Oprah Winfrey show where you open your Bible tonight and dollar bills are going to start falling out. And there are no dollar bills hidden underneath the pews that I'm aware of. You can check afterwards. Don't check now. Check later. The point being is that opening God's word provides riches greater than bills with dead presidents on it, greater than anything that you would get in this world And he says here, he says, you just need to listen to God. But second, he says, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to have this fear. Going back to the second part of verse 15, he says, because the battle is not yours, he says, thirdly, it is God's. And then in verse 17, just allow God to do the fighting. Incidentally, it seems to me that those four things are helpful to us with every physical challenge, spiritual challenge, or mental challenge that we will ever go through in 2024 or in the remainder of 2023. Allow God to do the delivering. Sometimes we want to put ourselves in the position of God and think that we can solve the problem. We've got to allow Him to do that. That's, as David talked about in his good sermon this morning, that's the majesty of the king that we serve is that he's in control. And then I want us to conclude with what we did just a few moments ago in song, and that is we always, when we pray, we praise, we praise, we praise. Go back to verses 18 through 22 and read those four or five verses sometime in the next couple of days. And you may say, well, this should be number one. This should be ingredient number one. This should be your base. And I understand. But note, if you would, that Jehoshaphat set the example in worship. And in verse 18, he says, he bowed his head, he put his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord and worshiped the Lord where the people followed his example. And then... In verse 21, what happens is there is this heartfelt singing. Have you ever sang songs in worship where your heart was not in it? I see most heads nodding, unfortunately, yeah. I was singing the song, but I was concerned about what was going to happen later that week at a business meeting. Or... I was concerned about whether or not lunch was burning at home or whatever the case may or what I was going to even have for lunch, whatever the case may be. We've all probably been, and again, if, 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 I suppose you can leave too. If you've never had a momentary lapse in singing praises to God where your mind went where it shouldn't have gone, no one's going to leave because we've all said, yeah, it's an area I need to improve on in 2024 as well. Heartfelt praises to God, which preceded God's deliverance. Notice the order of the events. God delivered after they bowed, prayed, worshipped, and praised. Then he delivered. And the same has to be true for us. I believe that the greatest understatement of 2023 that I'll ever make is quoting a lady who probably 15 years ago, raised her hand at a small church where I was preaching in the middle of a sermon. In the middle of a sermon like this, she raised her hand. So I ignored her for 30 seconds, what seemed like an hour to me. I was like, put your hand down, put your hand down, put your hand down. So I finally said, yes. (laughs) I didn't know what to do at 27 years old. She said, prayer is very important. And I said, thank you very much for that. Maybe I needed to hear that. That's not an understatement, that's a statement because prayer is important in 2024 for us. What is it that we should take away from this study? If I was gonna say four things to get out of this study, what would they be? One, prayer needs to be employed frequently in 2024 and in the final week and a day of 2023. It needs to be a daily thing and there are times that you get so wrapped up, and, I, and I, 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 think I, can, I think I can say this with all honesty. That there are times where some of us get so busy in the course of a day, even we may be busy doing good things, that we say, whoa, 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 I haven't spent any time with my father today in prayer. Let that not be the case in 2024. Prayer is very effective in getting the Lord's attention, and I appreciate again, brother Bobo, picking that song that talks about "You will bend your ear to listen." What a beautiful image, where God says, "Yeah, you don't. I'm, I'm here, and you you got my attention now." When we begin by saying, "God, Father, I'm praying to you," He says, "I'm right here. I'm listening." Thirdly, prayer should incorporate praise of the one to whom we pray. And it can't be just asking. God is not a gumball machine where you put in the quarter and you get your gumball and you go your way. God is not, a prayer is not just a, a token, okay, I need some help tomorrow with my test at school or with the project at work or with my problem in my marriage. And thank you, God, I got my problem fixed and I'll see you in a week. That's not the way prayer works. It needs to include praise of him and thanks. And sometimes prayer needs to be not anything about asking, but all about thanking and all about praising and all about worshiping. And prayer finally should include a broad and specific recognition of God's power and the fact that I don't have any. And there are some powerful people in this room, that have accomplished a lot in their lives and are accomplishing a lot financially and in the community and in your families. But we acknowledge, I think we all say in concert, we are nobodies when it comes to our God because his power is great. And these are ingredients for making prayer more effective, more effectual, and more invigorating in the way that we communicate with our God. I hope that this helps us as we close out 2023. Appreciate so much the opportunity to be with you tonight. And if nothing else, it's hopefully piqued your interest to say, "I want to learn a little bit more about Second Chronicles." Is there more good stuff in these Old Testament books? Of course there is, and you already know that. But we are here tonight to do all that we can to encourage you to pray more effectively more fervently and more frequently. And if we can help you in your prayer life, maybe it just needs to be a study on the subject. We'd be happy to do that. Maybe it needs to be that you need others to pray with you on a regular basis. We'd be happy to team you up with a couple of brothers or sisters, whatever the case may be, that you can pray on a frequent basis throughout the week over the next (coughs) 20, 24 weeks. And so we'd love that opportunity. If you're not a Christian, we would invite you to become a child of God, to have your sins washed away in baptism, as can be done tonight, and we would help you with that. If you want to study some more, you've got questions, you are uncertain about what we're doing, and you're new to the church, and you're new to, quote, religion, we're here to try to help. And if we can help you, let us know while we stand and while we sing.